mindfulness mode. Part of life is the struggle. So if you can just come to a place of acceptance of that and have some some compassion for yourself and the struggle you're in as you move through it, it's going to create a little bit more of a sense of ease as you muddle through the hard part. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe. This is going to be an interesting conversation today about mindfulness, and you'll see why as soon as we start digging in with my fantastic guest. I'm with Kirsten Best today. Kirsten, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm sure trying to be, Bruce. <laughs> it's, it's been a day of, of challenges since I had a vaccine yesterday, but I, um, I'm using my skills to stay focused and present. Well, that's good. That's good. I hope you're going to be feeling completely 100% very soon. So I just want to share a little bit about who you are, Kirsten. Kirsten, you are a clinical psychotherapist, it says on your bio, and a mindset coach, having spent over a decade learning about human experience and fostering personal growth. And you willingly share professional knowledge, wisdom, and skills that you've acquired throughout your career with those ready for the next level of change and transformation. And then it gets really fascinating because it says your transformation story is truly, excuse me, truly moving from lawyer to psychotherapist, straight identified to gay identified and drinking to sobriety so these all provide lessons in inspiration hope and real life resilience and i think your your um i was gonna say i think your website is very interesting i just talked about that to you for a second ago and it's called apropositive.com that's a very interesting word which we'll talk about on the show but Well, let's talk about mindfulness first. What does mindfulness mean to you? Well, it's so interesting because mindfulness, I realized, means so many different things to me. Everything from meditating, um, you know, in the insight tradition of meditation to um, just the the, uh, being present wherever you are and the input from your senses. So I realized I use all different kinds of mindfulness techniques all the time, whether it's a guided meditation or a mind clearing meditation or my, I live in beautiful Vermont. So I actually use a lot of my outdoor time in nature to be in a mindfulness state of mind. So, um, uh, just, and I'm an athlete. So I do believe that, um, some forms of movement are, are very, you know, put you in that zone of mindfulness. So, um, it's, it's the cool thing about it. I feel like it's, it, there's all these facets of mindfulness and you get to pick which one is the right tool for you at the right time. Well, you certainly do. And so let's talk about your website, Apro Positive. Is that like appropriate positive or Apro? You know, we kind of use that word. Hey, are you feeling a pro? Well, you tell us what that all means. Well, I, I it's a little bit of a play on words. I am a huge fan of, of the field of positive psychology. And uh, I, uh, I was trained as a psycho therapist, which usually means psychopathology. You know, traditionally they train people who are going to be clinicians on all the things that are wrong with people. And then I learned that there's this whole field of study that's so interesting and amazing. Um, and they call it positive psychology. And it's the, the field of studying how humans thrive and what are the ways we optimize human experience. And, and so instead of trying to figure out how to get to neutral, it's how do you from neutral move north of neutral and really, you know, 
use all of your skills and and thrive in the world. So because positive psychology is the label that's been put on this field of study, um, the company name is Apropositive, meaning instead of apropos of nothing, it's apropos of positive. <laughs> so we just call it Apropositive. And uh, I, I just kind of wanted to get the feel of positivity because I do think when we're working with mindset and mindfulness, the ability to shift our focus into the positive is actually a really wonderful tool to use from time to time. And not like, um, maybe not always like happy positive, that transient feeling of happiness, but more like the more fulfilled, deep sense of contentment that you can get when you live your life a certain way. Well, Kirsten, you certainly seem like a very positive person. So that all fits in together. Now, you then must have been a lawyer, first of all, starting in your career as a young adult. You were a lawyer and then you moved to psychotherapist. Why did you make that transition? Well, now that's a story that could take your whole episode, but um, the the short version is um, I was an athlete growing up, uh, and I went to to Harvard undergraduate and played tennis for them, and I I knew I wanted to do something with my mind, um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into the law, so I worked at a small law firm as a paralegal for a year, and I loved the idea that if you were a litigator, you you had kind of competition, and you were always kind of testing your wits and skills and figuring out fact patterns and making arguments. And it, it really fit my competitive spirit. Um, and so I went into litigation um, and I really enjoyed it for quite a number of years. I'd say a good decade of being a litigator. I was really enjoying the, the battle of it all. And the, you know, I loved writing briefs and arguing to, uh, you know, the Supreme Court of Vermont, right, you know, making those appellate arguments. However, I did have two children. Um, and that story goes from, you know, bed rest for three months with my first one to then, unfortunately, this crazy scenario where we had emergency open heart surgery at three weeks uh, oh, wow. for her. Um, and in fact, that anniversary of that just happened. And get this, it was the 21st anniversary of the heart surgery just two days ago, <laughs> because wow. she's She's a 21-year-old now. Um, but it was very traumatic and, and, and hard. And we got through that, and I continued to practice law. And we said, well, what could be worse than open-heart surgery on an infant? Let's have another one. And so I got pregnant again, and um, the baby was going to be due in January of 2002. And if you'll recall, 9-11 happened um, mm -hmm. in, in September of 2001. And unfortunately, I lost a close friend, um, childhood friend, my first boyfriend, actually. Um, he was in one of the towers um, that in New York, and he died. And I was going to go to his funeral. Uh, and instead of that, I ended up, unfortunately, having my son uh, over three months early, prematurely. Uh, he was only one pound, 11 ounces, and he was not given very much of a chance of survival and or even a good quality of life. And I must, I'll say today, he's this amazing, wonderful 19-year-old young man, and I'm, I'm bringing him back to college in Illinois in two days. Um, wow. So, um, so that was good, but he had um, enough health problems as an infant that it really was very, very, very hard, and you know, that's the understatement. And so I, I had to... I did go into a bit of an existential spin. If you can imagine between 9-11 happening and bringing a baby into the world with lots of um, health issues at the time, 
um, you know, it just made me rethink what's the meaning of my life and how do I want to live this and what is this world in which we live now? And so that led me to decide that I, I probably wanted to do something else than just fight with people, even though that was fun. Mm-hmm. I was getting tired of it. And in, in my opinion, if you're a litigator and you don't love fighting, you shouldn't be a litigator. You really have to love the fight. And I really had lost my love of the fight. And I really decided I would much rather spend my energy lifting people up. And so I ended up going back and getting a master's degree in clinical psychology and for the next decade plus um, working with people in the mental health arena. And in about the last five years or so, as I got um, this positive psychology um, kind of angle going, I realized that this coaching work was something that I really loved doing and was another way that I could lift people up and I could do it. Um, and now during this pandemic, it's been fabulous because I have clients all over the country that I work with remotely. And um, and so it's just, to me, the, the biggest honor, like a win-win. I can use all the wisdom and skill that I've acquired and help lift people up. And, and, and I love not having to fight every day. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty pretty awesome. And you sure don't look like a fighter. I mean, you you're smiling and you seem so relaxed and open and happy and you know, it doesn't remind me of a person that has this mean streak that you want to win 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 and try to, you know, come out on top that way. Well, what have your children taught you about mindfulness? Oh boy, they teach me things every day. <laughs> every day. Um and it's been actually a really nice synergy, right? Be- because of all the challenges of being a parent, um, I had to learn. That was really what set me on my journey of mindfulness. And uh, in fact, I was um, trying to recollect when I first started. And I realized I did spend a semester in Kathmandu, Nepal, when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was introduced to Eastern traditions when I was there. And, and I was very attracted to uh, Tibetan Buddhist psychology. And, and I did learn quite a bit of um, meditation and mindfulness techniques way back then, and that was in the 80, late 80s. Um, and so I've always had an interest in this, but I realized after my son and my experience with all the hardship of their births, um, I did go back and reacquaint myself with a lot of the centering techniques um, that are available, and I spend a lot of time studying and even I've gone to plenty of retreats now. Um, so I, I, I felt that I needed to train myself as a parent to, to be able to control my mind and my you know energy and, and my mm-hmm. sense of, of self so that I could be a better parent. Um, so so they taught me through hardship to be my best self and then I've been able to try to um, then mirror it back for them so that they can learn from it. Uh, I have I have a new nine-year-old in my life. It's a whole nother story, but uh, I remember we, we met her when she was coming out of foster care when she was seven. And she's very, very energetic, wonderful child, um, but she didn't know how to calm herself down. So then I found myself doing some mirrored breathing with her. And with kids, the breathing work can work so well to just have their energy settle. So um, I've loved being able to help teach her uh, around just using some really basic techniques to settle herself down. So it's it's a tool that that keeps giving. That's pretty cool. That yeah. is pretty awesome. Well, also in your bio, it says straight identified to gay. So we want to talk about that. So when did you start identifying yourself as a gay person or did you always from the time you were a young child? Tell us about that. 
Well, I definitely did not. So it was a big surprise to me when this all came about. Um, I don't know. Um, I often think back and wonder whether the cultural shifts that have gone each decade through life made me more open to the possibility that this was even a thing. But when I was growing up um, in in the culture and family that I grew up in, it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even a possibility. Like no nobody I knew was, you know, blah, 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 like the kind of standard thing. And also there's all the religious um, uh, condemnation of homosexual relationships. And I was raised Catholic, right? And so, and even recently as last week, the church came out and said, you know, gay people may not be blessed in marriage and in Catholicism. So there's a lot of um, reasons why you wouldn't even want to think like that, because why would you do that to yourself when life would be so hard? So I married a wonderful man. I had my first two children with this wonderful man. He's still a wonderful father. Um, but at some point after all the hardship with our kids, our marriage did, you know, get the cracks that often happens when kids are, you know, hard, chronically ill kids. And so it was after that marriage was splitting up that I happened to have some friends who I was, you know, uh, I, I play recreational ice hockey. And it happened to be that a lot of my ice hockey friends happened to be gay. I live in the Northeast. A lot of uh, women um, up in the Northeast, um, well, men too. There's just, you know, it's a since it's a gay-friendly uh, place to live in America, a lot of people live here. And so all of a sudden I was surrounded by people and I think that helped me identify that part of me. And then once you fall in love with someone, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter what their gender is. So I had the experience of falling in love with somebody who was a woman. And then I had to deal with all the fallout that comes with that because that was a surprise, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that. It wasn't why I got married in the first place to my husband and it wasn't part of my journey, I didn't think. And yet it feels very authentic and right to me. So it's been over a decade now that I've been out and I actually have had a partner of um, almost nine years now and we're engaged to be married um, as of Christmas. So, so um, you know, and that's where the nine-year-old comes in because my partner uh, adopted her children from foster care when they were quite young and there was two of them. And recently, uh, last two years, they got a call out of the blue saying, hey, did you know your kids have a, a little sister? Uh, which was a huge surprise. And then not only that, she was in foster care. She didn't have, um, she had been removed also from the same mom. So Michaela came to live with us two summers ago and now is part of our family. So she's nine now and it's been this fabulous addition to my life and I love her to death. So it's just a very complicated modern family situation um, that each step of the way I had to um, shift my mindset to, to accept what was happening for myself and then to not just accept it, to celebrate it. So at this point, I'm, I'm well into accepting and celebrating. And um, while I have, um, I, I've always been a person who ap absolutely acknowledges that some people have different opinions. I've always been, everyone's got different opinions. So I understand that my lifestyle is not necessarily approved of by everyone. Um, and yet I know I'm me and I know that I'm a good person. And since I identified as straight before and now I'm still the same person and I identify as gay, it's really hard for me to think that I'm a horrible human. <laughs> so I, I really just am like, you know, I think it's all going to be okay. Well, that's great. Have you had to deal with a lot of prejudice, uh, attitudes from people in regard to this? Thankfully, because of where I live, people who do have a lot of prejudice um, are generally 
silent. They wouldn't uh, do it to your face. I know other parts of the country, um, people do have horrible things happen to them. Um, I, I, so I, I've been blessed to not have had a lot of things happen to my face. I'm sure there's people that may have their own issues in their own space, but it, it hasn't affected me directly. Um, and I do live in the same town that I lived in the whole time I was raising my family as a straight person. So I made my reputation. I met my friends, um, and, and I'm still the same person. So it's, it's been um, a relatively easy transition for me, which I'm very grateful for because I know that's not the case for everyone. And I know these days with a lot of people, especially a lot of younger people, are identifying as um, trans people or they're not um, identifying as not a fit male or female, they're non-binary. Um, mm-hmm. They are they are getting still a lot of pushback and misunderstanding from people. And so I, I feel like that's the next frontier of acceptance where we have to kind of move and educate people that, you know, we're all just people, you know? Yeah. Well, Kirsten, what elements of mindfulness would you say have helped you through all these transitions in your life? Well, I definitely need to be able to stay centered. Um, and I can, I do care what people think and I do have a a certain degree of anxiety in life. And so I need to make sure that I'm being mindful of my levels of energy and my, um, uh, my whirling brain thoughts, um, you know, to get, even to get to sleep at night. Um, but so during all of this change, it was obviously very disruptive. So I absolutely, uh, had to really, um, regularly practice the skills of, um, what I consider, um, the, the, the energy calming, um, thing that mindfulness can do to you. I always use the metaphor of the lake, right? So when you're calm, you've got the flat, beautiful lake. And when your mind is all, uh, um, all in turmoil, like it's just like your lake in the middle of a huge windstorm or a hurricane. And so I'm always, uh, pretty much trying to get my lake to settle back down through the, through some mindfulness practice or another. And often I find that I need the guided meditation when I'm in a really tough state because if I can't, I need that external guide to, to get it to a place. And then other days when it's not quite so bad, I can sit and really, really uh, center myself in, in nothingness, um, which is a fabulous feeling. Uh, Kirsten, you talked about being an athlete, and I know you play ice hockey, but what other sports do you play? And I want to know if you believe that being active and playing sports and having all this physical activity is part of mindfulness for you. Yes, well, I I was thinking if I hadn't understood about mindfulness when I was a competitive tennis player, I played um, tennis quite competitively growing up at a national level, um, tournaments around the country, and um, I definitely tennis is one of those odd sports because it's a one person game. It's not you're not part of a team, and so it is quite a bit in your mind. So I think as a young young person, I could have benefited tremendously from some skills with mindfulness because I did, you know, I'd be disappointed in myself or I'd get mad at myself or the other person would uh, maybe have a bad line call that would upset you and get you angry and then throw you out of your game and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so that, that would have been wonderful to have had. Um, I do recall reading Arthur Ashe had published a book way back when about the, um, and then Tim Galloway too, like there was this inner game of tennis that was out there on the market. And I remember the first time I read that, I was like, oh, that's what I could have used. So I think as athletes, um, especially ones where you're not just 
reflexively performing, but you're thinking, um, mindfulness can really help you stay centered and in that zone, that zone of flow that you want to be in when you're when you're competing and trying to be at peak performance. Uh, now, now I have a much better understanding of that, and I, I'm like, wow, I could have been, I could have been better if I had known what I know now. Well, you've gone through some really major transitions in your life. And another one that it said in your bio was about uh, changing from being a person who drank alcohol to being uh, sober. So tell us about that. What Did you have an issue with alcohol in your life and then you decided to just completely eradicate that from your life? Well, you know, you would think that would be how it was, but the story's a little different. I have have a history of alcoholism in my family. So since a, a relatively young age, I always wondered, would I develop a problem with alcohol? And to, to the point where I was like, well, probably someday I'll have to stop drinking, but I don't know when, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I would, I, I, you know, it's like each decade I'd go by like, nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. And then I got closer to where I was like, hmm, maybe we're getting closer to that because I started having to, um, what I would call man it more. I would make sure I only had two glasses of wine. I didn't drink hard alcohol. Like I was just trying to keep a lid on it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is the nature of addictions. And um, I, you know, I do know that I have an, a tendency to be a addictive type person. And like, I just kind of get on these kicks. And mm-hmm. so I didn't want alcohol to be that. And I never wanted to get to the place where you become physiologically addicted to alcohol and you actually need it or you have those tremors. And so because I'd seen what had happened to family members who had gone that way, um, at some point I, I I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think this is it. I think this is the time. And I wish I could say it was that easy and then I just stopped. But because alcohol is a drug, um, it's hard. So I actually used all the supports I could um, when I decided to stop drinking, including something I never thought I would do, which was going to an AA meeting. Um, I just didn't think that was something that I would ever do. And I had enough humility. I was like, you know, I'm not sure I can do this without a little bit of community support. And so I found my myself a person that brought me to a meeting. And then um, I think it really helped me get over that hump of the beginning when you're having behavioral changes, you know, when you're in a pattern of and habit. And mine was just, I would work all day and I just have a glass of wine with dinner and after dinner. It wasn't, it wasn't that a big of a deal, but it was hard to figure out how to relax in the evenings without the alcohol. And so that's another time that mindfulness came in handy and the ability to kind of tolerate discomfort as you move into a new way of being. So now, you know, it's, uh, gosh, maybe five years that I not drink, um, but it doesn't, it's not an issue as much anymore. Now, I certainly, if someone offered me a glass of wine, I would be like, it's really a shame because I would love to drink that glass of wine, but I'm not going to, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. but, but I think it's best. It just keeps me on an evener, a more even keel and frees up a lot of brain energy rather than deciding, am I going to drink today? going to drink today? Should I have one glass or two? Was that too much or too little, right? So it just kind of take, takes the equation off the table and takes me off that track. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's it's much easier to not have to decide about certain things like that. That's, that's for sure. So I want to ask you about bullying. Do you have a story about bullying? Maybe you were bullied in your life or maybe you were a bully at one point or something where mindfulness would have made a difference. Well, it's interesting because um, I I know you asked this question and I realized I always have been um, the fighter of bullies. And that was actually what one of my things when I went into the law, I wanted to be the protector of anyone who was being bullied. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I 
I've never felt that I've been a victim of bullying on a consistent, you know, in any real basis. And I don't think that I've been a bully. However, I absolutely have stood up for more than a few people who I felt were being bullied. And I think the the mindfulness piece there was my um, centeredness in my conviction of what was right. Um, and, and even at a very young age, just knowing that that wasn't okay. And, and so that like gave me the the chutzpah or whatever you need to, to step in and just tell people to knock it off, especially when the, you know, the, usually the poor victims were people that didn't really have those resources available to them. So, um, for me, it comes from that, uh, uh, what do you call that? The bystander intervention <laughs> standpoint, mm-hmm. the, the courage to step in where maybe you weren't supposed to, but you just needed to because it wasn't right. And so it takes took a little bit of um, centering to know, like, I'm going to step in here and I'm going to do this, even though maybe there might be some pushback. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's interesting. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Kirsten. So just 30 okay. second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness influence in your life? I, I gotta say, um, Pima Chodron, I've read a lot of her work at a time in my life when it was really important. So that really helped set me in some good directions. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She really is. Number two, tell us about your emotions. Have you, have you developed a different way to deal with your emotions or you see your emotions differently? Let's talk about emotions. Um, yeah, I I think that, um, the, the emotion of anger, um, is the one that gets the most interesting when you can take a little bit of separation from it and start to understand what's going on underneath it. And so I, I always find the most information um, when I, if I feel the flash of anger, it's always like a note, Curio- be curious, what is going on here and try to figure out more. So I think um, having that ability to get the space to be reflective in that those moments is really, really um, important for learning a few things about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Boy, breathing is as an anchor, you know, I, I wish it wasn't as important as it is because it seems so, you know, basic, but I use it all the time because it's one of those things you can use and no one knows you're doing it. So I, I, whenever I find myself in a high stress situation and I need to relax, um, but I can't run up and down stairs or do pushups, right? Um, which is another way of releasing some energy. The breathing absolutely is what my you know, go-to secret weapon to just start to um, get myself to settle down. Excellent. Can you recommend a book that's related to mindfulness? Well, back to the children, Pima Children, any of her books I love, but I did um, look recently and I remember that this uh, Jack Cornfield book, um, A Path with Heart, was a, a book that um, I thought did a really wonderful job of kind of walking you through the basics of, of a path of kind of mindfulness. Um, and then he, he is a Buddhist path. So and so some spirituality, but uh, that was a great book I remember reading way back when. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I'm sure that's a great book. I've not read that one, but uh, he's got some terrific material out there. Let's talk about a, an app. Is there an app that you could recommend that can help with mindfulness? 
Well, the cool thing is, right, there's so many these days. Um, yeah. When I, when I work with my clients, um, I, you know, it really depends on their personal preference. Um, a lot of people love Headspace. A lot of people like that Calm app. Um, there is um, an Insight Meditation Timer out there that I know mm -hmm. people use, and I often go to that. And then, um, you know, I, I like also the Dharma Talks because I'm interested more in the Buddhist lineage. I go to um, Dharma Seed and listen to a lot of free Dharma Talks um, on there. But uh, everyone's got their own flavor. So when I when I when they work with my clients, I usually offer them a sprinkling and see, just say, try it. See if, see if this um, fits for you. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yes, well, um, there are so many apps that are very interesting. I find that I use some of them for a while, and then I move on to another one, and then another one. I wanted, I wanted to talk to you also about your your practice and your clients. Do you have a story about a, one of your clients that maybe you've really helped them to transition from a a dark place to a much brighter place? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um... Well, I just thinking one of my first clients when I was um, just getting started in the coaching world um, was a woman who was experiencing quite a bit of health trouble um, and and finally quit her job in the fashion industry in New York. Um, and she was in quite a rough place. And I actually reached out to her and offered my services um, at a very discounted rate because it just felt like the right place to start. But the point is, <laughs> during our time together, and I usually work with people about six months at a time minimum because that's how long I find it takes for people to really move through change. But in that time, they were able to um, get their health uh, and energy back um, in, in line with where it needed to be and find an, another career uh, in a, a whole different industry um, that ended up being perfect because it was an online industry and was before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it has really ended up thriving. So for, through the work together and learning how to work a little more wisely with the, her inner world, she was able to heal a lot of the health issues that were going on and get the clarity of what else she might do besides being this particular fashion industry, find this new job and then do it. And then I've, I stay in touch with her. So I know that she's been promoted several times in this new job, but she's still doing it. So it just was a really wonderful kind of transformational story and gave me um, confidence early on that that I can lead people through transformational change. Um, and so that I've loved that because I now have been able to duplicate that. Maybe not everyone I work with starts ill, but everyone I work with starts in a place and ends up in another place. And I always just love to watch their journey. Yeah, well, speaking of journeys, you've really, really gone through some interesting journeys in your life, and you, you just seem like such a sunny, upbeat personality. So it's, it's just great to see how you've come out in such a positive way as a result of all this. As we wrap up the interview, I want to ask you if you've got some positive words of advice for anybody out there, any of our Mindful Tribe listeners who are maybe going through some of those really tough transitions right now and wondering how they're going to come out at the other end. Any advice? Well, the words space and grace come to mind. Um, giving yourself the space to muddle through a difficult time without putting pressure on yourself that it needs to be over with because there's that muddling phase of any transition that feels so awkward and uncomfortable. But if you can just sit in that discomfort, you'll find that you'll be getting through to the other side sooner um, instead of trying to avoid the discomfort. And then the grace part is... Um, it is in part having that um, the ability to have compassion for yourself. 
um, while you struggle through things, because as we know, life is, is hard and, um, and it's unfortunately part of life is the struggle. So if you can just come to a place of acceptance of that and have some, some compassion for yourself and the struggle you're in as you move through it, it's going to create a little bit more of a sense of ease as you muddle through the hard part. That's great advice, Kirsten. Well, your website is apropositive.com. So that's easy to, to find. And thank you for coming on the show today. It's been really a lot of fun talking to you. And, and uh, I just wish you all the best. Thank you for doing all these positive and great things that you're doing in the world to help other people. Well, thank you for having me. And, and back at you. Thank you for helping all your tribe with your their mindfulness. And, and I, I appreciate having the time to be here today. Yeah, my pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, subscribing, and rating the show on Apple Podcasts. I have a question for you. Would you like to conquer your inner bully? How would you feel if you could break through the blocks that are keeping you from moving forward in your life? Maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have sleep issues, or, or maybe you need help with stress. I'd be glad to work with you. I'm a licensed hypnotist, and I'll help you move through your challenges to the other side where you'll feel calm and accomplished. Send me an email at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. We'll set up a free 30-minute session where we'll see if you're a good fit for my hypnosis and coaching package. In the subject line, put mindfulness mode listener. And again, send it to bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. So now, Mindful Tribe, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.